Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. You might still be exhausted from the Wednesday pod that went two hours and five minutes, so we won't hold you as long today. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. Not quite rapid fire. I pulled five. I asked the texters, hey, I did a call out. Give us some questions. I got five really good ones, I think. So we're going to go in a little deeper on these five. So it won't be rapid, but it's multiple question. And one of the questions is going to lead in to what we are expecting to be the next two pods. We are expecting the Friday pod to be a retalkables on the Ohio State Clemson 2020 semifinal game. And then we are expecting that to lead us into a Monday podcast on Ohio State in big games recently. Do they have an issue? So we're going to, we, we have a really deep text or question on that that I've been saving. We're going to look stuff up about that. And we're going to have a question that goes beyond the Michigan games, but like, hey, are they, you know, this reminds me of the conversation that was very much at the forefront of Ohio State fans after they lost the national title games in 06 and 07, which is like, okay, you're winning all the games you should win, but when you get to equal talent games, what are you doing? So we're going to dive into that, see if there's something there or not. We have a little bit of a question along those lines, but we have another question we're going to start with about firing. And guys, the reason I want to start off with this is because there's stuff happening in the NBA right now that I think we can use as a little bit of a comparison. When you have the Phoenix Suns trade for Kevin Durant, get knocked out by the Denver Nuggets, they fire Monty Williams two years after they're in the NBA Finals. The Milwaukee Bucks are the one seed in the East. They lose in the first round when Giannis is hurt for a couple games. Mike Budenholzer gets fired two years after winning the NBA championship. And the Philadelphia 76ers take the Celtics to seven games in round two, lose, and fire Doc Rivers. So that is three of the best teams in the NBA just fired their coaches, not because they stunk, but because they felt like they underachieved. There's a higher ceiling there that another coach might get more out of the talent. Do they just need a different voice? But it's not because you stink. So that leads us into this question. From the 513, in this day and age of Ohio State football, with all the success and outside factors like social media and NIL, is there a cutoff point for how long a coach can last before they get fired after perceived shortcomings? However many losses against Michigan in a row, losses in a season. It's been mentioned on the pod that John Cooper never would have lasted as long today as he did back then. What's that cutoff point? And how does it change with the new playoff system coming? Nathan, oh, this is so meaty. So I feel like this is not going to be that rapid. But I want us to talk through this because this is a this is a much more nuanced discussion than, oh, Ryan Day lost to Michigan. He should be fired. But that's a factor in there. Nathan, just like, wh- what do you think about this idea of a cutoff point as it relates to Ohio State football? Yeah, this isn't rapid fire. This is like musket fire where like you shoot and then it takes you like a half hour to reload your gun. And we'll just talk during that time while we're waiting to, to reload our muskets uh, while, while our while our fans at home, our listeners are, are reloading their muskets. So the new playoff changes everything because how many John Cooper seasons could have been redeemed in a tournament? And maybe it's only like one. 
But to have a national championship on your resume, if everything else is equal, does change the John Cooper conversation, right? So the the playoff is going to change. We've already talked about that, I think, ad nauseum, that the playoff does change this a little bit because when you have things go a little bit awry, 2021 Ohio State is maybe the best example during Ryan Day's tenure where, you know, the early loss to Oregon when CJ is a little bit hurt. Things aren't, you know, things are not coming together on the defense. They lose to a better Michigan team. It was a bad matchup on the wrong day for sure. And then that's it. You don't get a chance to then take your NFL guys into a tournament, which they certainly would have made if 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 they had been able to. And then what do you do there? I mean, you get the right matchups there, and all of a sudden you're you're maybe you're back in the final four, and who knows what happens. So uh, we've already seen some examples of this, even just during Ryan Day's time of where they could have redeemed themselves in a, a 12-team tournament. And I, 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 that, to me, is is where this conversation really changes. We've been living in a very stringent college football experience literally forever. And it was more stringent in the past. And it's gotten a little bit looser to where we let four teams in now. But it, it, it's, it's, a, it's about to be a completely, completely new world. And it's it's almost hard to envision how we'll actually think about things five years from now compared to how we've been thinking about them since Newt Rockney or whatever. So so just let me, Stephen, before we go to you, Nathan, you think the twelve team playoff makes it less likely or more likely that a head coach at a place like Ohio State would be fired? Less likely, because there's more chances for redemption with an expanded playoff. Yes, because the, a loss is not an absolute eliminator. Even two losses is not an absolute eliminator. We've seen so many examples in Ohio State's recent history, just during the playoff era, just during the 14 playoff era, where one loss takes you out of any kind of postseason achievement, really. I mean, you get to go play a bowl game, but that's becoming less and less important every year to the point where now where if you're an NFL prospect at all, you're not playing that game or a, 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 an immediately leaving NFL prospect. So it's going to, I think, recalibrate the way we think about a lot of this stuff. Right now, it is a very, it's a very harsh reality. Like the one loss, and that's what makes this coming season so intriguing right now. Like we're doing this series about um, on the site, the 10 most important Buckeyes. People listen to the podcast. It's just an expansion of what we did last week on the pod. And on, in a lot of ways, like we're, we're part of this is like projecting what we think the season is going to look like. And I'm having a hard time doing it in some cases because it's uh, as I'm writing. I'm writing the Ryan Day uh, one as I as we speak. It'll probably it'll already be on the site by the time people hear this, I think. But trying to project what I think this season will look like, because there's so much promise and it's still so many potential uh, pitfalls there for this team that uh the, the absolute um, downfall of the one loss is still really hanging over this team as you go into a season like this. All right, Steven, what do you think? More likely. And I'm glad you brought up the NBA examples because that's what I was going to do to say why it's more likely. What if Ohio State goes 12-0 and 0 this year? Let, let's, let's, let's use this season as if the 12-team playoff was happening this year. Ohio State goes 12-0. and 0. They're clearly the best team in the country. But then they have a bad day in a playoff game and they lose. Or what if the last two seasons play out and you lose to Michigan, you don't win a Big Ten championship game, and you also lose in your first playoff game. 
I think the playoff has now given us a, a better way to gauge whether or not a guy is getting the job done or not. And if you're a team that's constant, if you're a coach and you have a program and your ceiling is constantly, you're losing your first playoff game, whether that's because you got to buy the second round because you got to buy or it's because you're playing in the first round. How many years in a row can a, can a, can a coach at a school that's supposed to be competing for national championships lose in the first round of the playoff? So I think you're both right. <laughs> and I think circumstances could make it more likely and less likely because you have the opportunity for redemption in a 12-team playoff. But if you don't redeem yourself, you might hasten. Mm-hmm. You're fine. Make it worse. Because I do think, so we have used the Cooper example a lot, as the texter points out. That specifically to me is, I mean, obviously we talk about the 98 Michigan State loss, but a lot of it is, is a Michigan conversation because we just saw that this year. That if John Cooper could lose to Michigan and still get in a playoff and then have all that talent and say, let's take our shot, even though Ohio State lost to Georgia this year, in some ways, Ohio State did redeem itself. Right. I think the program and the fan base feels mm-hmm. better about the season having made the playoff and competed right there with Georgia. Coop would have benefited from that because Coop lost lost that game so much. And then you throw in the Michigan State loss in 98, he needed redemption every single time. So even if the redemption didn't happen, he desperately needed the chance at redemption. And he never got it because it was always like one loss kills you. If we're having a big game discussion about Ohio State, I do think, for instance, when you lose games like to Purdue and Iowa and Oregon, some of those losses where it's like, man, Ohio State lost, but I I mean, do we really not think they're better than those teams? They just had a weird day. I do think it's you're reluctant to fire somebody on a fluke. Right. That, oh, well, I don't, you know, more Joe Moorhead, like found one thing and they played all these young corners and like it killed them. And so that's a loss. Right. But if that's what you're going on and it's such a small sample size in college football that sometimes you're like you can excuse the inexcusable loss because it's a one off. The Michigan conversation is a completely different conversation. I don't think Ohio State can tolerate a world where you're just losing to Michigan every year. So then it's like, well, where do you draw the line? Some people would have drawn it after two Michigan losses. Some might say three. Some might say, well, it's got to be at least four, right? But it's like there isn't a, a lack of tolerance for Michigan losses that I think exists no matter how good Michigan is. So, But that's almost like another conversation. The thing that I think would get somebody at Ohio State fired, and this is, you know, it's like if Ryan Day is listening, it's like, oh, we're trying to get Ryan Day fired. We're having a, a, a discussion about any head coach in modern college football, I think would be the belief that this guy can't get you over the top, that you didn't fall off a cliff, but it's so I think the Monty Williams Phoenix discussion, I think is a, an owner with a quick trigger finger who was yep. like, Oh, well, I want my team. So I don't think that's particularly, but I think doc rivers in Philly and Mike Budenholzer, especially Budenholzer in Milwaukee is relevant because they won. I think people thought Budenholzer was going to get fired two years ago. And then they yes. won the NBA title. It's like, well, you can't fire yes. a guy then. But did they win the title because of him or in spite of him? Probably in spite. I don't know that anybody ever thought that Bud, that Bud was getting them over the top in any way. So then when you have a quick exit, it's like, okay, we can do better than this. This is all about Giannis. And then like Chris Middleton got a little bit old and like, but still have Drew Holiday and Giannis. That should be enough. But 
it's not the roster construction is killing you, but your coach is not doing anything to get you over the top. Right. If you were good, but not great. And Nathan, when you got to the big games, which is why this big game discussion in a couple pods is going to matter. It's not that Ohio state's not playing in the big games. Cause if you, if you're no longer playing in big games because you're eight and four, like we all know what's the line right there. Like we know what that line is, but I think you might be when you increase the number of, quote, big games that you play, and every playoff game is going to be a big game. You could even win in the first round, but then lose in the quarters. You know, like you're a six against a three, but people think you're actually your favorite as the six, and you don't win. You kind of have a goofy day. And it's like, well, what was that? I I think I might lean more on the 12-team playoff will – will potentially increase the chances of big-time coaches getting hiring based on what we just saw in the NBA because you're creating more rounds of the playoffs. But also, Nathan, I think like the line, because what's the cutoff point is what the texture is asking. I think it's when you feel as a program that your coach can't get you over the top and that it's not a one-off and you have enough evidence. Now, 2-10-1, they will never wait that long again for that much evidence. Never. But is two Michigan losses enough evidence? I certainly would say no, not even close. But then it's like, well, where, so, but what, but what does it mean? Well, the number of losses means this guy can't get us there. We have proof, not a fluke, not a one-off, not a bad matchup, not weather, not an, an interception that hit a guy in the helmet. Proof that this guy can't get us over the top. And I think a firing discussion of Ryan Day is crazy right now. But as we have this big game discussion and people are noticing it, okay, they're right there, but they, you know, they make the field goal, right? But they haven't gotten over the top since the Clemson semifinal, which is why we're doing it as a retalkable. And I certainly haven't watched it yet, but I want to watch that game and feel like, is there something here that we we don't see now? Because I think some fans would say that there is. I don't know if there is. But that's the cutoff point for me. There's enough evidence to say he can't get us over. He's not a difference maker. Well, the talent's there, but we need a little boost. And he's not a difference maker anymore. And we can get somebody with the same talent who is a difference maker. And you drop a new coach on this team, maybe they beat Georgia. Maybe they beat Michigan. Same talent, same players, same scheme, but something more. Which is, I mean, that's that's ethereal. That's not tangible. But also, Nathan, I think you kind of know it when you see it. But there's sure. a sliding scale of how quickly people might get there to, to par- compared to some people who would be a little more patient there. I'm going to be curious to see how much the um, just kind of conventional wisdom of the football expanded tournament is going to mirror the way we look at the men's tournament, because I would argue that of the major programs, while while the things you're saying are correct, the years where you get upset, undercut the work you're doing, the other years where maybe something went wrong in the regular season, but you get in as a lower seed and then you go ahead and win, it kind of balances out a little bit. And I think you could look across the real blue buds in college basketball and see that that has played out, whether that's Michigan state. I think that's a good example. There've been years where, you know, they've gone in as a two and lost. And then the years where they go in as like a six, seven, eight, and they're in the final four because they're Michigan state and it's Tom Izzo. And I think there's that. So those things could, I think balance out with, with some of the great programs, but I, I know that there has been 
a level of coach that is sort of bemoaned. Uh, if you're a like a second tier Big Ten program or a really good mid major, and you go too long without not just making an NCAA tournament but getting in there and winning games, then no matter how much like how many twenty win seasons or whatever you're having, how much success you're really having, that does tend to like hasten you getting pushed out the door, depending on who your AD is. Not so much for like let's say Fran McCaffrey, but at a lot of other programs that has gotten you pushed out the door. So, and I think people have, have, like I said, I think they've kind of bemoaned that, that like maybe that's too harsh of an arbiter. And I think that'll probably be maybe less of a case in football because it's a smaller tournament. You're talking about less games and people look at, at football a little differently. But on the concept of like, what would it take to get a coach fired at Ohio State? I came up with like three things that jumped to the front of my mind. One is exactly what we're talking about, sort of, and it's uh, playing too many road playoff games because <laughs> that means you're not even a top eight seed. If that starts happening too often, that tells you you've really fallen off the standard. But that'll be a future thing. The second thing is lack of developing NFL talent. We're not anywhere really close to that for Ohio State. They're getting first-round quarterbacks, multiple first-round picks. Um, but on the flip side of that, two defensive players in the NFL draft the last two years, I think also is an indication that the things aren't fully healthy in the program. And then the third thing, and it's kind of related to that, was prolonged recruiting dips at key positions. And we've already seen some evidence of that too. So like offensive line, I guess, being the, the primary thing and defensive backs, they, they, they seem to have fixed the secondary issues. So I guess what I'm saying is I agree with you that I would not say that the, the fire Ryan Day conversation should even be started right now, but I, you see the the cracks that have already developed that have to be fixed before you let it get to that second stage where some of those things really start to pile up. Since we're going to use the basketball comparison here, take away this past season for all say basketball because that was just wow. If Ryan Day's first four years in the expanded 12-team playoffs looked like the football version of what Chris Holtman's first four years as Ohio State's basketball head coach looked like, does Ryan Day still have his job? I think he's on the hot seat right now and needs mm-hmm. something big in, in year five. I think that's a good way to look at it because it's all because what we're talking about here, even with the NBA stuff, it's what is your goal? What's your expectation? The Bucks, the Sixers, the Suns, their expectation was to win, a, win an NBA championship and they're out in the second round. That's why they got fired. Ohio State's expectation is to compete for national championships. So if you're not even getting to the final four, of, that's the equivalent of like getting to the Elite Eight it's just because it's less rounds. If you're not even doing that on a yearly basis in the 12-team playoffs, then what are we doing here? And it's multiple years of evidence of that. And I think that puts good context on how much Ryan Day has accomplished as Ohio State's head coach in these first four years, too. Like, how many programs have accomplished more than Ohio State? It's a very short list since 2019. Obviously, Georgia, LSU, and Alabama. Clemson's a wash. So who, who else are we talking about? I, you would argue, you could make an argument about how much the Michigan thing is equated, but Ohio State's had more playoff success when it's actually gotten there than Michigan, including last year when they both lost. You you would argue that. I mean, Kirby Smart didn't win a national title until his sixth year. He only made one playoff appearance in the first five years, lost in a national championship game. So I mean, it's you could argue that Ryan Day did more in his first four, four slash five years than Kirby Smart did in his first four or five like the the number of people this isn't me just like defending Ryan Day because I want to but just objectively the number of coaches who've done more since 2019 is really a really short list so this big game conversation is not new to Ohio State when Ohio State and I was just double checking I, I mean this was a forefront issue 
Ohio State goes through the regular season undefeated in 2006, loses to Florida in the national title game. They go through the 2007 season. They're very good. Washington is their non-conference game that year. It's it's not as big of a deal. The Big Ten's not great. They have the upset loss to Illinois, but they beat Michigan. Then they lose to LSU. So if you're going through and saying like, oh, like what counts as a big game? And this is always a thing to me. People remember the losses in big games, and then they sort of like, ah, oh, well, you beat number nine, but is that really a big game? It's like, well, is, we, you can't just look afterward and say, is it a big game or not? But still, I think people would have said Ohio State lost its two big games. 2008, they lose at USC. They get their doors blown off early that season. Then they lose to Penn State, and then they lose to Texas in the bowl game. And again, Michigan's like not great, so like, you could say, oh, those are their three biggest games. They, they lost them all. Then they lose in 09. They lose it to USC at home. And you could have said something at that point, like Ohio State's lost its last five big games. They come off the 1-2 game. They beat Texas when it's number two in 06. They beat Michigan when it's number two in 06. You can't get bigger than that. They're number one. They face number two twice in the regular season. They lose both. They win both of those. But then starting with the Florida National Championship game, you could then say some people would have said they're 0-5 in the next five big games. And it's like, what are we doing here? That was absolutely where people were, which is why it really was a big deal that Ohio State beat Oregon in the Rose Bowl to end the 0-9 season. Like, that was a fun game. Ohio State hadn't been to the Rose Bowl in a while. But, like, that's what was there. And it's like, Chip Kelly's a genius. What are you going to do? And it's like, oh, Ohio State had an answer for that. And they were the better team, and they won that game. But it's because a big game discussion was happening. The thing that's different, which is what I apply to the Chris Holtman thing all the time, is, well, Tress had a national title. Tress had beaten Miami. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, you do that in year two, you can have the conversation. But nobody in the middle of the 08 season has been like, season has been like, I don't know, I think we're done with this guy. I mean, can he win the big game? And it's like, are you familiar with Maurice Claret and Sean Taylor? Can he win the big game? What are you talking about? It's one of the greatest wins in college football history. Yes. Now, he hasn't lately, but he can. So Ryan Day, like, does he have that? I mean, does he doesn't have a national title. Like, can you hang? Which is why, again, it's why we're doing this. We're talkable. Is, is the Clemson win in the semifinal, that revenge game in his second year as a head coach, is that enough? That's a big win over a big-time program to get you to a national title game. But when you have this discussion, Ohio State's had this discussion before. But, Stephen, that's the part of it. When you have something in your back pocket, it changes the discussion. When you don't have the thing to hang your hat on, then that discussion can get more real more quickly and more heated more quickly, which is how you get to 300 F-bombs and fire Ryan Day texts when they lose to Michigan for two years in a row. And the other thing that Tress had going back then when he was losing to Florida and losing to LSU and losing to USC is he was beating Michigan. So that's like such a wrinkle in yeah. any Ohio State discussion here because your rival always matters, but there's no rival like Ohio State, Michigan. So then that completely changes everything too. But I, I do feel like what happened in the NBA, and I think the NBA is a better comparison than college basketball, the college basketball postseason, because a college basketball postseason can be fluky. Listen, mm-hmm. man, seven game NBA okay. series, it's, yeah, it's not a fluke. The one going to win, yeah. And, and, and a college football game, Like you can have flukes, but certainly a football game is less fluky than a basketball game. You know, is it as much of a sure thing as a seven game series? No, but I actually think it's closer 
to a seven-game series in the NBA than it is to a one-off game in college basketball where we've now, you know, Purdue loses as a one-seed kind of thing. So, really, I thought the timing of this question, Stephen, coming off Coach Bud and Doc especially, that I I don't think it's a thousand percent dissimilar. Like, the Sixers weren't horrible. And you can say, like, well, Marvin Harrison Jr. got hurt against Georgia. It's like, well, Giannis got hurt against Miami. You know, there were some reasons to stuff, but also it was like, sorry. And Bud even has a title. So I, I, I didn't think they were completely dissimilar as much as I'm not even close to being there on Ryan Day. Doc, Doc and Bud getting canned helped bring this discussion a little bit into focus for me. I think the Trestle thing is interesting because winning a national title as a college football coach, I feel like it's very similar to being a first-round draft pick as a quarterback. It gets you a longer leash than you maybe should have just because you've got that thing on your resume there of like, this is a first-rounder. We can't give up on him that quickly, i.e. Baker Mayfield. So that's all Cleveland Browns fans. I think it's very similar. So how, but how much longer is the leash? If you're a bud, it got you two extra years to be the head coach here. If you're Ed Oldron, it maybe would have gotten him two extra years, but he also had some like non-football related stuff that was going on over there. But he probably would have had one more year before they got rid of him because it, it, it went downhill very quickly there. So the, the national championship just gives you a longer leash. But the Michigan aspect of this is why it's so weird because Ohio State's really the only team where the rival is this prominent in the resume building thing, because Alabama's lost to Auburn a couple of times. And like, nobody is looking at Nick Saban and like, why are you losing to Auburn? Georgia's lost some rivalry games. You know, Texas has lost it to Oklahoma sometimes and vice versa. This is the only one where it feels like it's so prominent that it's more than just like a social construct of like Ohio state wants to beat Michigan, win the big 10 championship and win a national championship. It's almost an indictment against you. If you're not beating Michigan in a way that it's not an indictment of other programs. And so when you bake that into the discussion, Jim Trestle maybe got a two-year leash because of the national championship. He probably got another two years because at least he wasn't losing to Michigan. And right now, Ryan Day is not doing either. I think also, too, uh, not to prolong this too long, but the other important factor here is are you you losing in things that you can truly control? Because there – and by that I mean it's not always the wins and losses on the field because the other team practices too. One of the factors in Ohio State losing to Michigan the last two years is how much better Michigan got. So, yes, it can control whether or not it beats him, but they can't control how good Michigan is. But you can control things like your culture. And I think we've also seen that where guys who um, have been coaches who accomplished a lot, college football, college basketball, the example that's popping in my head immediately for some reason, actually Thad Mata might be one of these, but uh, Bruce Weber at Illinois was one of these where he coaches him to a national championship game and is by all regards like a really good guy. But by the time he left there, it was obvious this guy had just lost the team, had just lost the locker room and couldn't be the coach there anymore. And I think if you start to see a slip like that, too, the, 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 the wins and losses, you can you can always kind of excuse or explain. But when something like that starts to happen, when you've started to lose a little bit of the fabric and the foundation is keeping everything together, that's maybe the biggest telltale sign. I think there's a big difference between you aren't beating a foe or you aren't winning national championships and you, you can't, can't right them. Mm-hmm. And you right. can't win national championships. And when you go from aren't to can't, that's the line. Yep. So I don't think I, I, there is no part 
of Ohio State and Michigan or Ohio State in the Ryan Day era that makes me think they are at can't. I don't think that at all. But if there are two more losses to Michigan, like the one in 2022, that's not about Aiden Hutchinson. This, as I've said a million times, I just think that's a little more of an intangibles loss. That's Ohio State not making plays, screwing up stuff defensively. Okay, here's Three a fourth down. You've half. got to convert this. You don't convert it. Three points in the second half. Give me two more of those, and, th- and all of a sudden, now we're I mean, we're probably at the cant. It's like, well, what's like, what's going to change? How are you going to change this? But how, can that not start applying to the? I understand they've lost some pretty tight-knit playoff games where it's like one thing goes differently, they win the game. But he's won one playoff game and it's against a team that we're not really sure is in that conversation anymore. So, like, I, I understand. No, 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 that's losses. not fair. See, I think that's not fair. It's not like, fair. It's not, all right, okay, like right, right, right now. It's not good. They were good oh. then. We can't. Okay, that's fine. Okay, yeah, fine. It has to be. Okay, yeah, fine. I'll, I'll take fine. I'll take that away. But the point of the matter is. And also. Oh, how many more close losses in the playoff does Ryan Day have to lose before that becomes a can't as well? That's just that is a very tough standard, because if you're making the playoff, it's one thing if you in the olden days when you're not even in that conversation at the end of the year or if you're missing the playoff, when you make the playoff, you are at worst playing the fourth best team in the country. You know what I mean? Every year. That that's not the, that's not going to be the goal anymore to just make the playoffs. As we're we're using the NBA example, oh, right. but that but, was not just right. the goal for the Suns and the Sixers. So just making the playoff going forward doesn't. That's not a good. Okay, that's but not a go good backwards. Reason but, but don't yeah. apply. Don't apply the yeah. twelve team thing backwards to no. a Clemson semifinal win. No, I'm, appa- saying, I'm applying it going yeah. forward. I'm saying if he has three or well, four more losses, first thing you said was like, are we even sure the Clemson win was that good? It's like, that's a, it's a nonsensical thing to say. But the point I'm being, being, losing in a first round playoff game is not going to be the same thing as losing a semifinal. It's not. Yeah, going forward, just making the playoffs is not going to be good enough. I agree with that. Especially if you're right. losing to teams that people think you're better than. Right. You said Ryan Day has won one playoff game. Well, that's we're talking about the world we live in now. That's the conversation we were having. Right. I think it's hard to project ahead and say, well, what if this means he starts losing to the number 12 seed in the first round. Like, it's going to be a very different world where playoff wins are going to matter much more. It's like, oh, you've only won one playoff game. Well, I mean, you've made three of the four that you were in. You lost to a Clemson team that, like, you probably should have won that game. Then you beat them and lose to a great Bama team. And then you you take the national champs to the wire with Georgia. Like, I mean, like, like that's the kind of – see, that's the kind of thing when you say, oh, there's only one, point, one playoff game. In a four-team playoff world, like, that kind of rhetoric is what gets guys – like, that's the – I don't – that's like a firing discussion that doesn't make any sense to me. Because, like, I'm what saying, we, what, what, there's only been – since Ryan Day's been here, there's only been 12 playoff games that have existed because there's, there's three a year. Right. And so it's like, oh, there's only one one. Well, there's only been 12. And like, you know, Bama took up a bunch of them and so did Georgia. Georgia has like six of the wins or five. Yeah. Four of the wins. So like I'm saying if that is still true two years from three years from now, if that is still true that he's only still only won one playoff game, because that's not unreasonable to think about, because if they're like the five seed, they're playing a pretty good playoff team their first game. Well, okay, but here's the thing. Being the five seed is a bigger problem than not winning a playoff game if you're the four seed. You know what? It, it, it depends on how you look at it. it but 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 I but to get back to the conversation about Michigan, though, because we've theorized about um, does the playoff now where Ohio State plays Michigan now multiple times, et cetera, is that going to like 
ruin the stakes of the game and it will certainly decrease them. But when you're not beating Michigan, it decreases the chances that you're one of those top four seeds, which increases your chances of losing before you get far in the playoff. So that's another thing that's going to, it's going to, the, the Michigan game will, I think, I think carry, I think the Michigan game will continue to carry importance. Like, but, but people aren't going to be, I mean, if you have a buy and you still lose your first playoff game, that's still going to be really bad. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, but yes, it's going to be four conference champs. So Ohio state, just like, you know, the five seeds going to be awesome. And then playoff every year, because the five seeds mm-hmm. either going to be the Ohio state, Michigan loser, or the Georgia, Alabama loser. So like yeah, the yeah. five and the six seeds should be really good. But I think what the, what the bigger deal is, is not winning a playoff game at all, whether but you're the right. three yeah. seed who loses to a six or whether you're the, yeah. the seven seed that loses to a 10 or whether the 11 seed that, that loses to the six or whatever. Like you, you've got to, you've got to get in there and win, which is where that's where the NBA example comes in. Cause it's like, well, are you good? Yeah, you're good. Well, did you get into the playoffs? Yeah, we made the playoffs. What'd you do in there? What well, felt like underachieved and like, and it felt like that you didn't put your best foot forward while underachieving because even the fact that the Sixers got blown out in game seven, I think mattered. If they lose on a last second Jason Tatum three pointer, I don't know if Doc's fired, which is the difference between Ohio State losing to Georgia by 40 and Ohio State losing to Georgia because they missed a field goal at the end of the game in a game where Marvin Harrison Jr. and Cade Stover got hurt. Like, did you compete? Because I think part of the can't is not only wins and losses, but did you compete? Did you look like you belonged? Yeah. So. like there were games, the Sixers won some really good games in that series. But by the time they got the game seven, it was like, you don't even, what is happening here? Mm-hmm. Are you even trying? And I think we had this discussion in the correct way after the Michigan game. I don't think we ever said they've got to go beat Georgia. But I think we definitely said they've got to go compete with Georgia. Because if they lose to Michigan and then roll over, 35-point yeah. loss, it's over at halftime. It's like the Florida national title game. Like Na- Why are you like- even here? It's like the, the Clemson semifinal. Mm-hmm. In like the Georgia national Why are you here? Yeah. Right. I mean, it's weird. There are actually people who I think are like dinging TCU for that. It's like, oh, well, it's like, you realize they made the national title game and finished second. They're TCU. And it's like, oh, well, it showed TCU. It's like, they finished second <laughs> to a yeah. modern dynasty. Would you rather TCU be seven and five? What are we doing? But- Ohio State's not TCU, so the standard is much higher. But I think that's part of the can't. That's how you get from aren't to can't. A part of that is you're not even competing, right? Yeah. And like that was the thing. Mm-hmm. Like Ohio State, for Ohio State after 06 and 07 in the national title games to go to USC and get destroyed was not great. And then they lost to Texas in that bowl game, but that came down to the wire. They at least competed, right? But then that's why, I mean, at some point – if you're not competing, you get to can't quicker. But even if you're competing, if you are never getting over the top in the games that really matter, man, we competed in we're 0 and 9, but man, we competed in seven of those games. At some point, yeah. it's like, nope. well, congratulations. Now we're in moral victory territory, and moral victories don't fly at Ohio State either. Not for an extended period. And, and Steven's correct. If they're if they're making the as a top four seed and not winning that quarterfinal game, and that happens multiple years in a row. That, that's going to be a problem. And it does. But the whole thing, Stephen, is which is why you said you think it increases the chances of firing yeah. is it's more opportunities of that because right now they just don't play that many that many games of that caliber in a year. 
but you're going to have another chance to lose a game like that. And we're saying it might even be a world where, where you won the first one, say the six seed, well, you beat the 11. That was good. Mm-hmm. But then you lose to the three and it's like, okay. Like it's really more opportunity that if you're not at least getting to the semifinal, I think a lot of the time Ohio State fans are going to be disappointed with that. That Now you're in a world where you've got to win one or two every year for people to be happy, which maybe is a chance of redemption, but maybe a chance just to make people mad. Every time they've expanded this thing, it's taken away the 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 concept of what we think could have happened, right? It's like we've had years in the past where because it was only two, a team who finished third could be like, oh, we could have won a national championship this year. Then you expanded the four. And so now the five, you can go, oh, we could have competed for a national championship. It, it takes all that hype, the hypotheticals off the table. Right now, Ohio State fans can genuinely feel like they could have won a national championship this year. If the ball, if the ball placement was literally like five yards closer, maybe 10 yards given Noah Rebels history there, but that they were that close to win a national championship. When you go to 12 teams, I don't, you can't be hypothetical at that point. You can lose. You, if you're losing games by a field goal or you're losing games because Chris Olave broke off a route in this situation or any other reason, even if the game, game was competitive, two or three years in a row where the reason why you lost the game was because it came down to this play, at some point it's going to go, so what? It just means that you get there and you can't get over the top. And I think I, maybe I failed at making that point earlier, but that was the point I was trying to make was how many years in a row, even if you're competitive in those situations, the Sixers got to a game seven. And that's not enough. After being competitive but not winning only buys you so much time before I feel like athletic directors have to look at things and go, maybe this isn't the guy who can get us over the top. He's just the guy who can get us to the destination. Because we feel like if we change the head coach, we can win the national title next year because the talent's good enough. The talent is right there. Golden State Warriors literally did that. They did that when they fired Mark Jackson and brought in Steve Kerr all of a sudden and went out. The Cavs did it in the middle of the season. In 2016. Right. So it, it, it happens. And I, I I don't think it's going to happen in the middle of the season because football doesn't work like that. But I do see some situations across college football where, like, you feel like you had a guy, but enough of a sample size in the playoffs shows you he can win us 10, 11, 12 games in the regular season, but maybe he's just not it. And the coaches make their bank in the, in the postseason. And so we're going to see some coaches make their bank in the postseason, and we're going to see some other coaches maybe get exposed. Yeah, we'll get a better handle on it. Right. Mm -hmm. In a sport where you're in your own little silo, you don't get out and play other teams a lot. And then you get to bowl games and the bowl games like don't even matter. But like, for instance, that Ohio State, Utah game, that was a great game. I think in the end, Ohio State fans are like, man, that was an awesome Rose Bowl. Mm -hmm. But if that was a that was a first round game and it's like seven seed Ohio State against 10 seed Utah. And it's like, oh, my God, (laughs) they almost (laughs) lost that game. They couldn't stop those guys at all. Like, what's going on? And then, like, people would have been disappointed if Ohio State lost that Rose Bowl to Utah. But if that was a playoff game and they would have lost that game to Utah, you're adding fire to the, like, I don't know about this guy in big games, man. Like, that's, that's I do think, Nathan, that changes the calculus. Now, we know Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson didn't right. play. Ohio State would have right. had a better chance. Right. But we're just saying, like, right. we acknowledge that, and they would have had that. But also, the two receivers they did play combined for – 9,000 receiving yards, yards in that yeah. game. So yeah, anyway, yeah. I mean, the, the, the bottom line is you take something like that Ohio State-Utah game, which is which is right now really still, it's, it's a decent chunk of it's a vacation, right? It matters. 
but it's a parade and a vacation and it matters. But if you lose, you can excuse it a little more. That becomes a referendum on are we at aren't or can't. Can this program get over the top in this situation? And I think that's, Nathan, that's why Stephen and I landed on, man, it just creates more opportunity. Now, the Georgia thing is a great example. That's your argument. Well, okay, you had right. these t- this terrible thing. It was a low point. And then they didn't even win, but it was redemption in some ways. So that's the other side of it. But I do think we'll get a better handle. It will be less fluky. It will be less fluky mm-hmm. because I do think Cooper's teams, as much as 2-10-1 would never happen again, Cooper's teams were talented enough that I think you could talk yourself into the idea of like, man, I don't know. Like, have you seen these guys? Mm-hmm. Have you seen Orlando Pace? Have you seen Terry Glenn? Like, it feels like, have you seen Antoine Winfield? They're really good. Have you seen Sean Springs? What are we doing? Why would we fire this guy? Eventually, the talent is there. They will get over the top. And you could you could talk yourself into, we're still at aren't, but man, it doesn't feel like we're at can't yet because look how good they are. Because it was really only one game. So Cooper either could have gone into a 12-team playoff or a 14-team playoff and redeemed himself, or he could have confirmed, okay, no, this is, oh, even though they lost to Michigan, they were the three seed. And then, you know, they got destroyed in their mm-hmm. quarterfinal and we're not, now we're out, Nathan. So it's, yeah. but you'd get a better grasp of it either way. And, and actually 2022, the Georgia game, that is actually not my example. I'm thinking more 2015. I'm thinking more 2021. I'm thinking the teams that didn't even make the playoff. But to go back to what Steven was saying, like that hypothetical has always hung there. And it's an informed hypothetical. Like you saw how good those teams were. Yeah. You saw how much NFL talent was on those teams. What could those teams have done with the second chance? What could the 2021 Ohio State team with that offense and C.J. Stroud that far into his first season and two or three weeks to prepare because he wouldn't be playing the Big Ten championship game um, for and maybe it would have even I can't remember where they ended up ranked uh, in, in the in the rankings might have even been a home game um, like what would or definitely would have been a home game first round because they wouldn't have made the, the top four so like um, what could that team have done and that that's what I think is still driving this and I think uh, Ryan Day's already been asked I, I we know how Ryan Day feels about this right he is much less concerned about the extra exposure to an early loss he will take that he's i think he has less fear about that he will trade that fear for the assurance that you're going to make it every year and then now you control your destiny I, I because he's talked too many times about how much one loss is just hangs over you here and he he will I, we, he's on the record like he will gladly make that trade 42 minutes on the first rapid fire we told you it wasn't rapid <laughs> wait told what musket musket fire that was a that was a pod 43 43 see that's how we do it here we take a thing that is a entire pod for normal people and we say that's question one on the q a show Next up, dreams about Jim Harbaugh on Buckeye Talk. All right, this question will lead us into a reminder for me of something that I want to do as a whole show, which is have people just write in and tell us the dreams they've had about college football because I know if you are listening to this and you have never dreamt about Ohio State sports or college football, I would be very surprised. I would be I would be very surprised and I bet there's one that sticks with you and I, I at some point we'll do a call out and I want to hear them all. 
This isn't a rant from the 616. It's a nightmare I had. I had a dream Jim Harbaugh was nice. I squeezed a bottle of Coke on his shirt as I walked past him, and he was super nice about it and made me feel bad in my dream. Do I really miss football that much that my brain is willing to make up nonsense like that? Steven, can we diagnose something here? Can we provide some therapy for our tech subscriber with a nice dream about Jim Harbaugh? Um. <laughs> yes, you just miss football that much, but also Ohio State's lost to Michigan two years in a row. I don't even know what the diagnosis. Yeah, I don't know what the diagnosis has. I, I don't know. I just think you hate Jim Harbaugh. He also wears white polo shirts a lot, so maybe that's part of why you went with Coke, because then you have to deal with the stain. He's got to walk around with that stain on national television. So Jim Harbaugh, there was like a big story, like in February. I'm looking at it here that Jim Harbaugh helped police clear a roadway after a large tree falls in Ann Arbor during an ice storm. And so there is a part of Jim Harbaugh, like Jim Harbaugh's different. And at times Jim Harbaugh to outsiders can seem weird. And then when he was like taking his shots, he can be, I don't know, mean and seemingly not care about it. But he also, Nathan, has done things where he does seem to do things like this. It's like Jim Harbaugh seen shoveling driveways. Like, what are you doing? Because there is a part of Jim Harbaugh that sometimes he acts too much like a normal person for a highly paid football coach. But should it be a nightmare, Nathan, that an Ohio State fan, their subconscious believes that Jim Harbaugh is a nice person? Well, I don't think there's a lot of evidence that Jim Harbaugh is evil. I know why Ohio State fans want to hate him. I've never thought he was evil. I've always just thought he was a space cadet. Like, he is just a weird guy. Mm. And he's always been a little bit weird. And maybe that's, you know, uh, growing up in, in in the kind of football family he did. And I don't know. With a football coach for dad, I, I don't know. Um, certainly, I've met a lot of people who were like that who turned out just fine. But um, and also, did I ever tell this story before? So my, my mom was a kindergarten teacher. Jim Harbaugh, when he was the quarterback of the bears dated a girl that I think my mom taught in kindergarten, or at least was like from that small town in central Illinois. Um, that is not who he ended up marrying, but I remember there was some kind of dating relationship at that time. So it's like, he is kind of like a normal guy. We'll just like date the small town girl from central Illinois. Yeah. I do think would, would Ohio state fans think that Dabo is more evil than Jim yes. Harbaugh. I yes. think like the yes. weasel yes. thing, Stephen, yes. that we've said about yes. Dabo and the Dabo yeah. vote in the poll. Yeah. Right, Stephen? That's like a little it, more like me, like evil it, guy. It, it, it right. feels like with Jim Har- you just hate Jim Harbaugh because he's the coach of Michigan. And, you know, he can be cocky at times, like when yeah. he guaranteed a win and win. But you hate him for football reasons. Dabo, it just, he just, he seems like those type of people where if you meet him, you go to your friend after he walks away, I don't like that guy. I don't know why. I don't, I don't like that guy. Yeah. I think the Michigan thing taints Harbaugh, whereas Dabo tainted Clemson, which otherwise yes. had no reason oh. to be hated. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I think even like, yeah. I think Nick Saban is probably even hated in a way is even considered more evil because then you're talking about like, he's got like some kind of devil magic that the, the team is just always 
loaded with talent and great and wins all these national championships. I think people see it as like, a, oh, he's like a he's some kind of demon that or some kind of wizard that just calls down spells or something. Like, so you can have, you can attach some sort of evil to Saban that I think you can't attach an evil to Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, Saban is more diabolical, and I Correct. do think, and I've said this before. It's sort of like, what would Jim Harbaugh be like if he wasn't quite as weird? And we know because he'd be his brother. And John Harbaugh, I think, seems like a very nice guy. Every time you're at the combine, it's like, hey, John Harbaugh, what's going on with your quarterback? Is he going to get traded? He's like, ah, you know, I just believe it'll work out. And that's the same kind of thing that Jim Harbaugh would say. But Jim Harbaugh would just like, I don't know, say it a little bit in a a way that was a little more awkward or something. But John is just like, hey, that guy, I don't know that anybody would, would hate John Harbaugh. So... I don't know if that helped with the therapy or not, but I thought it was funny. And and at some point, we will do a call out for your dreams. There was definitely a movie when I was a kid in the 80s where somebody went into people's dreams and it was like killing them and stuff. And it scared the bejesus out of me. Let's so Nightmare on Elm Street, don't watch right? that movie. But we'll do uh, dreams on Buckeye. Yeah, Buckeye. Nightmare on Elm Street. No, because it, no, it wasn't. Uh, it was something. I think it had the word dream in it. So I don't watch uh, Nightmare. I've never seen Nightmare. Is that what happens in Nightmare on Elm Street? Yeah, you have to. He goes into dreams. No spoilers. No, for no spoilers. real? No, I'm not. I don't. No, I don't I'm like horror movies. That. So I don't. I I'm think the that was the guy, point of it. I'll, I'll just go read. Yeah, I, I go on Wikipedia and look up the plots of horror movies. I don't like horror movies. Uh, I had I had a friend I'll like that. She it. would go. Um, she would go watch the plots before. She would still watch mm-hmm. the movie, but she wanted to watch the plot beforehand, so she yep. wasn't. I guess that helped not scare you. But then my point, like I don't read anything beforehand when I watch anything, if I can help it. Cause it's like, I want to experience it. I want it to be visceral. Yeah. I want it to like, I want, that's the whole point of it. Pass. Yeah, no, I don't want visceral. I want, I want things planned ahead. No, no visceralness for me. Except pods. Okay, let's do, <laughs> except pods. Yeah, no, that's completely out of my butt every single time. Uh, I don't want to he think about email anything us before questions. I get on a microphone. He did. You did, did email, email us these questions. I gave you like, I gave you like 41 minutes notice. All right, let's talk about Sonny Styles. We have a game day question coming up, and then we have a question that will lead us into the 2020 Ohio State Clemson Retalkables. Part question, part statement from the 614. What is the likelihood that this coaching staff screws up and limits Sonny Styles' snaps this year in favor of an older player? I feel like he is a catalyst that can take this defense from really good to elite right now, and they'll find a way to screw it up and miss out on a national title only to see Sonny be an All-American and go pro next year. That's Craig in Sarasota. Nathan, do you have a part of you that think that's going to happen? We've talked about this before. I'm I'm less concerned about that with this coaching staff than I've been in the past. I thought there were some signs last year that they might have a more open-minded approach to this, whether that was my call, whether that was Lathan Ransom, probably some other guys that you can include in that conversation. So I'm less, I'm less concerned that that would happen in general. And I also don't know that if, I mean, like not playing the right safety enough, does that alone cost you a national title? I, I, I'm skeptical about that too. I think I'm less skeptical this time. It's less about the coaches and more about the scenario. What the the gripe with Baron Browning was that why is Tough Bo- why is he not playing more? Because they had a guy like Tough Borland who, at least in their mind, was pretty proven in that role. Along with playing him out of position, there's not a Tough Borland this time around because Josh Proctor 
the idea of Josh Proctor has always been better than the actual Josh Proctor we've seen, at least on this pod, the way we, the hypothetical thing. And then Lathan Ransom, Lathan Ransom, and they play three safety. So there's not a guy where it's like, oh, great. There's an older guy who's still here who's just going to get those snaps. It's going to take away from the five star. That's not the case here. Even if you want to throw CJ Hickson in that situation, you kind of get it why Steel Chambers is playing over CJ Hicks right now because he's played so well. That's not the same thing with Sonny Styles. But, but I actually think the Bam Browning yeah, and we have example talked about that. Could, be, could be a very telling one here because in 2019 even, they were sharing that spot, and Tuff Boylan was the one who would start and was like in on early downs and kind of setting up the defense. But we needed a guy to come in on late downs or play late in the game and just execute. Yeah. They put in the more dynamic guy. So is that something like what they end up doing with Sonny Styles? I don't know. Perhaps. I think there's a lot that's still on the table for what his role is going to be this year. I do think generally Knowles, Jim Knowles is closer to like play the young guy if he's better. Like, let's do this. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like I did feel like at times in the urban era, urban would as much as urban talked about like winner loser and like, Stakes for the winners and hot dogs for the losers. It didn't feel like sometimes Urban could get loyal to older players. Mm-hmm. And I think Shiano could be like that defensively. And I think maybe a little of that carried over. Um, I just, so it doesn't mean I'm going to stop yelling about it because I'm going to yell it till it happens. So as much as it like, hey, felt like they had six safeties you believed in in the spring the thing that Noel said about, I, what was the thing he said? He said a thing in the spring that I was like, oh, okay. No, dominate the twos. Dominate yeah, yeah. the twos, and then we'll see what's up. And that assuaged me to a decent degree. And so I think my belief is that we will see Sonny Styles running with the ones sooner than later in August. If he's not, I'll scream. But I'm not uh, as much as this has been. If we did a thing of like, the top 10 most popular topics on Buckeye Talk. Playing better younger players over more established veterans is absolutely in the top 10. We talk about this a lot. Ruthlessness. We talk about this all the time. We are very interested in it. And I think our listeners are very interested in it. And I think both us as the hosts and the listeners are much more open to Play the good young guy. I don't like who cares if he makes a couple mistakes. And coaches historically, I just think in general, they just they they don't they want to make sure there aren't game breaking mistakes, killer mistakes that a young guy that we they see in practice and we're willing to overlook. So this is a this is a an ongoing discussion. And then you look at a place like Georgia, where seven of their top ten defense players last year were first or second year guys, right? And you say, like, what are you doing? Like, let's go. I would say maybe in my history, Nathan, almost 20 years, I might feel better specifically defensively with Knowles. I just might feel better about this coaching staff playing dynamic, less experienced guys than I have maybe ever. So because it's a top 10 Buckeye Talk subject, we're going to keep taking questions on it and we're going to keep talking about it and looking out for it. But I'm not in panic mode about it the way I have been at other times about this very situation. And it's just something that we have to keep an eye on as this season develops too. Like if, because here's the thing, like if Sonny Styles isn't playing very much, uh, but the rest of the safeties are playing great. That also changes the conversation a little bit. You can get into a semantic argument about like, well, he'd be playing even greater 
But that's a hard thing to just assume. You know what I mean? Like if the guy ahead of him is playing like an all Big Ten level. So and, and that happened. That's linebacker is probably a good example of that where, you know, C.J. Hicks barely saw the field as a true freshman. But, you know, Tommy Eichenberg was Tommy Eichenberg and, and Steel Chambers has continued to improve and, and plays very well at that position. And both those guys are still there. So uh, I and or, or maybe even last year with the defensive ends, like, you know, they just weren't ready um, to supplant the guys that were ahead of him. They had plenty of guys ahead of him in that rotation. So I'm, I'm, I understand why the texter is asking this. I think it is based on precedent because you can, as you just did, name several examples of how this has happened in the past. But I think you have to reset that. I mean, they changed over the whole coaching staff except for Larry Johnson. And Larry Johnson's had no trouble putting true freshmen on the field before. JT Tumalau had been here for, uh, I don't think he'd even started getting mail here yet. And he's starting like the fourth game of the year. So like, in, in 2021. So the, everybody else has changed over. I think you've got to judge them on their proven policies on this. Yeah. Coach Jay got to Joey Bosa pretty quick too, right? Like the right guys, like, right. They, you know, when they had super established dudes with Sam Hubbard and Taekwon Lewis and Jalen Holmes, maybe Nick Bosa didn't get as many snaps as a true freshman as he might have in other situations. But man, like those were other really good guys, but, but that's a good example of like that. He is not, held guys back in a way that would have made us think like, what is he doing? So I do think I I just on alert, not in panic mode. So I, I talked about this on my little mini rant pod that we did um, very recently. And I remain very interested in what the TV situation is going to be like for the big 10 and Ohio state football this year. And so this is a little bit related to that. We talked about it a little bit at the time, but I think it's worth again, talking about this now it's from elijah in south carolina because espn will not be showing big 10 games will ohio state host college game day less now they do not now that they don't have games on espn i love watching game day every week but it's always special when it's in columbus so i remember talking to people about this like during the course of last season when we once this was announced and we knew this was going to happen and the people at espn that i talked to said it should not wipe out Ohio State as a game day site. Sometimes, this is what they said, sometimes if there's a close choice on picking where game day is going to be on a Saturday, if ESPN is also already going to be at that game to televise it on ESPN or ABC, just logistically, it does make it a little easier. So it's sort of a tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. And I think that has, and also you want to promote your own stuff. Like they won't say that on the record. They'll say, Hey, you know, the wires are there. It's like, okay, but also promote your own stuff. Like you remember, like when ESPN has a contract for a sport versus when they don't have a contract, right? Didn't they have the NHL once upon a time and you would watch NHL highlights and then and the NHL left and it was like ESPN act like hockey didn't exist anymore mm-hmm. as a sport. So this yeah. is not that because big 10 football and Ohio state football are bigger than hockey. And so, but I would say prepare yourselves, Ohio State fans, for like a 25% rollback. But, and this is, I can't even believe this is on the NCAA official site. The NCAA, NCAA NCAA.com, has an actual story from January of this year about every college game day site ever. It's like, what are we doing here? Because it was always on Wikipedia, and I've referenced this at the times, and we've done our own research on it. But according to the NCAA, I mean, how would they lie? Most times hosting ever since college game day started in 1993, Ohio State 22, 
Alabama 16, Florida and LSU 13 each. Most appearances overall, Ohio State 56, Alabama 54, Florida 42, Oklahoma 39, Michigan 36, Florida State 35. So what that tells me is, hey, Ohio State's number one. That's not a coincidence. But also, Alabama has not been on ESPN. That's a CBS contract. They are, right? That's not their main thing. They're on ESPN sometimes. But it didn't prevent Alabama. It didn't prevent game day from going. Game day will go to a big SEC game that was on CBS. So I think there's some proof there, Nathan, right? That yeah, I, I would maybe, I mean, there would be times when it's like, oh, Ohio State was like at the game, like had game day like five times in a regular season. You know, like we've, like it's felt like sometimes like game days here all the time. I would expect a reduction, but not a disappearance, Nathan. Is that, where do you think you are? Well, yeah, that's exactly how I looked at it. And there's going to be an increase in presence of Fox Big Noon games. So that's the other thing. Like, as we're thinking about how are we really going to look at the present five years in the future? And at that point, will will having fewer game day games feel like something is missing? Or will people just transition to, well, it's just one or the other? And it's the showcase game on ESPN some or but this week it's a showcase game on Fox and maybe maybe Fox Big Noon starts to equate a little bit culturally with game day because if if you're taking half the country which is also a huge viewership half of the country Ohio State especially and just giving them more of one product and less of the other I think it's going to raise the esteem of the Fox product so that's one thing I thought of the other thing to remember too is these primetime NBC games so they're Sounds like they're branding that too. It's going to be called like NBC Sunday night, something I can't remember. And there's going to be some sort of a showcase element that goes along with that too. And that's going to be a big deal, I think, for teams when hopefully Ohio State is playing on the West Coast in November at (laughs) night as opposed to playing a lot of these Michigan State uh, home games at night like they are in 2024. So that's another element here. I mean, I understand why someone's asking about game day because game day has been such a institution especially for the Big Ten, but it's going to change. The way we look at it is going to change. And now game day is just not going to be as important. I will say this. There have been multiple times where game day and the Fox, Fox, what do they call it? Fox Noonie Showcase, Fox College Noon Time. Big Noon Kickoff. Yeah. They've both been there. And it always feels like to me that game day had the better setup. Because at Ohio State, game day would be at St. John Arena and sort of have that whole thing. And then the big noonie guys would be around the corner at Ohio Stadium over by the RPAC, like wedged in a little bit more. I think Fox gets the better spot. That's another prediction. Next time Fox and game day are both at Ohio Stadium, Fox is going to be at St. John, would be my guess, Stephen. Yeah, it'll probably be the um, the Ohio State-Michigan game. Because uh, I would assume both would be there, especially if both of these two teams are top four teams and teams in the rankings at that point. I would assume that Big Noon probably whatever the best area is over there in that horde Ann Arbor in November. I would assume Fox gets that better spot in those situations. But to, to Nathan's point with NBC, yeah, they've already started um, filming commercials. I know they were in Columbus. They did something with Tommy Eichenberg, Cage Stover, Marvin Harrison Jr., and JT Tuimaloa, which I think is going to be their promo um, for Ohio State games, which is an interesting combination of people. No, I know. It's like, hey, NBC, we got the Big Ten package. What can we do to promote it? 
I got the guy for you. <laughs> Tommy Eckenberg. <laughs> Tommy <Let's> no thumbs. <laughs> Tommy two uh, words. So yeah. I, I don't know. This got past me a little bit. I don't know if you guys knew this, that NBC has announced who the announcing crew is going to be. So get used to this. For instance, this is going to be who's going to announce the Ohio State-Michigan State game that has been announced as an NBC game in prime time. It's Todd Blackledge as the analyst, which is very familiar to Ohio State fans because he's been around on ABC and ESPN for a long time. And then Noah Eagle, who is the son of Ian Eagle, who's a longtime announcer. So Noah Eagle has been around. You've probably heard him. Um, And Catherine Tappan is going to be the sideline reporter. So there's at least one very familiar name in there. So, you know, the, the, the thing of it is, like it doesn't mean because I remember talking to Herb Street about this, like when he was here, and it's like, hey, like when is this going to be the last time you're going to do Ohio State? And he's like, well, you know, there will be games where it, it's well, first of all, like a playoff situation, right? Well, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan too, is still going to still... be part of that. Mm-hmm. Well, they but he won't call the game, so that's the thing. It's right. like beyond right. game day, it's like who's calling the game, and I think Ohio State fans are, are very used to hearing Kirk Herb Street. Right. Maybe you love him. Maybe you don't. But he's sort of I mean, it's it's the fact that he is a Buckeye, but he's also sort of like the TV voice of Ohio State football. Well, you think Mm -hmm. about it, he's been through multiple. He's been doing it with Brent Musburger for a while. Now he's with Fowler. Like he's been around for a long time and you might catch him in the playoff. And then whenever Ohio State has like a non-conference against somebody that's like, you know, they're on the road at Texas, Georgia, Alabama, Alabama. All on the like those. So if Herbie's still around for there. And also, but I, when I was asking Herb Street about this stuff last season and it was like, well, you know, the, the, this TV deal is for however long it is. He's like, maybe, you know, it'll come back around someday, you know, that like, so, um, but it's, it does take getting used to and And, you know, as much as Paul Keels and Jim Lachey are the voice of the Buckeyes and people, I know there are people who turn the sound down on TV and listen to those guys. Like you get used to the people whose voices you hear on TV. And for Ohio State fans, there's going to be more Noah Eagle and Todd Blackledge. There's going to be more Brad Nestler and Gary Danielson on CBS. You're still going to get Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson, who have also become the voices of the Buckeyes because they're doing the Ohio State-Michigan game every year and doing a lot of very big Ohio State games. So Gus and Joel are still going to be around. So that's some comfort, right? And when they came, they were new. And then I think Ohio State fans were like, Gus Johnson, I love this guy. So, but it is a change, Nathan. And I think game day will be a slight decrease in game day will be part of that, but it's not like we'll never see game day again in Columbus. Right. And like I said, it's just, I'm, I'm curious to see if fans just start to just change the way they talk about it and where for a previous generation game day was the thing. Do fans just start talking about Fox in the same way, Fox and NBC. That's how they'll talk about it going forward. I, I don't watch the shows a lot because we're there. I feel I still feel just game day has a little more juice still. I feel like I don't. I because it's I I, I agree. It's because it's you're it's, but it's, I feel like it's part of it is that's what you're used to. The big noon is still relatively new here, and then NBC is getting in on this in ways not just with Notre Dame anymore. So I I do think I agree with Nathan here. Like let's have this conversation four or five years from now when people are used to other things because I think we all. If if it's a night game, we all have a tendency to turn on ESPN and watch game day in the morning before we leave to go to the games we go to. It's, it's just it's what you're used to, and so let's see what happens when you have to change people's habits. 
five years from now, are people going to be like, oh, I go to Big Noon first, and I love and Joe Clatt and Gus Johnson are my number one people I want to hear when I'm watching an Ohio State football game in a way that hasn't been the case because it's not what you're used to. You're used to ESPN, Ohio State, big game. I think the football stuff on Big Noon is good, right? Like Urban's good They're at very, breaking yeah. down football, but I just like I think sometimes like the they the need a, um, putting on that mascot yes. head and the guest yeah. pickers and like right, right. some of the they've, feature stories that ESPN does. I think they're they, ahead on that. They've leaned no, a little 100%. too. Uh, I think Big Noon is really good if you're in if you're really just into the football. I think Big Noon is probably better, but ESPN College Game Day has really cornered the market on the entertainment factor of this and. I wonder who that person now, because right now, Big Noon is just all former football players. So what are they going to do? Talk about football. I do wonder if they ever bring in a person that's like, I'm here for the personality. Like, you know, even McAfee being on ESPN now, that's another personality that like you can get behind, even if you're a random person who doesn't, not into football like that, but you just love the entertainment factor of all this. But but game day is just part of the culture of college football. The signs on game day are, are a bigger deal, right? Yeah. It's it's just part of the culture. It's part of the zeitgeist or whatever. Like it's it is threaded into college football right now, and this rights deal pulls back the thread a little bit. They'll just be they'll mm-hmm. just be less of a presence for game day. So then, does that change the way people think about game day, or does it change? Do people feel like something's missing? I, we'll be I'm eager to find out, but that's going to be we'll find out down the line. It's now it's just kind of hypothetical. Also, I think we do have to reserve the idea of. People are saying, hey, you know, logistics sometimes, but we've gone to stuff historically. But also, sort of with this Big Ten TV deal, I don't – they kind of told ESPN to kick rocks a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it also might be like the president of ESPN might be like, we're not going there. We're going to Starkville. Mm-hmm. Screw Columbus. That's also on the table. Mm-hmm. That it's like, oh, wait, no. Ah, Columbus has – they haven't been to Columbus in four years. But- they sure got interested in that Mississippi State-Kentucky game. I thought they might have come to Ohio State-Penn State. Oh, well. But then again, then again, we'll find out five years down the line. Was that the does is ESPN making a point by doing that, or are they punishing themselves by doing that? Do people really miss it? Because the other th- Ohio State's a monster. Ohio State is a TV monster. Mm-hmm. You people, if you're hearing this, you're part of the monster. You're one of the mm-hmm. monsters' appendages. You have power, and so if ESPN like ignores you. Or ESPN, like you feel like they're like leaning too hard into the SEC, and you know, Big Noon's like, come on over. And plus, maybe they get a little, you know, they as there some razzmatazz. Um, the power of the Ohio State fan base is is a. If we were doing, I was like, if we were doing like the top ten most powerful things in college football, I'm not so sure that the Ohio State fan base wouldn't be in the top ten. And I'm not pandering. I mean, I am. But I'm not only pandering, because when you think about how much TV runs this sport, how much TV runs realignment, how much TV deals affect the futures of commissioners and ADs and presidents and and everything. And it's like, what's the fan base that shows out more than anybody? Go look at the ratings. It's Ohio State. So there's real power in that. All right. Last break. Quick wrap up here on Buckeye Talk. All right. So this is a good texter question but we're gonna dive into this so much that i think we can brush across this as a tease from the five six seven ohio state lost to clemson after the 2019 season then blew them out the next season everything in 2020 was about getting back at clemson ohio state lost to michigan in 2021 but unlike clemson lost to them again the next season why did revenge work against clemson 
but not Michigan. Two different results. Which is the norm for Ryan Day? And which is the exception? Really well-worded question, Stephen. I I love the thought process here. Because to be fair, when we talked about what we thought Ohio State might do against Michigan in 2022, we used the revenge they got against Clemson as a reference point. And we said, oh, this might be a reason to believe that Ohio, hey, they know how to get revenge when you think about it all year. And then it didn't happen. Is there anything we can point to? And then, by the way, we're going to go rewatch this three and a half hour game and dig into all the stats. So maybe we don't have fully formed answers yet, Stephen. But what's your initial thought? I think that all that is cool. And I do think it still exists. I mean, I've said it a bunch of times. Nobody harbors <laughs> harbors a grudge against somebody the way Ohio State does. But I think the major difference is just because you're mad at somebody and you anger at somebody and you want to get revenge on somebody doesn't mean that you're equipped to be able to do it. I think Ohio State was also just better than Clemson in 2020. Just like, and I think in 2019, I think you can make an argument that Ohio State was better than Clemson. And I think that's part of the revenge thing where it was Ohio State thought they were the better team and they didn't win. We all can agree at this point that Ohio State probably wasn't the better team over Michigan in 2021. And in 2022, it probably is, you can make the argument at least that maybe Michigan was also just better than Ohio State even if it is more of a discussion. While with Ohio State and Clemson, in both years, it's probably Ohio State was a better team in one year. They just didn't win, and it's the reason why they were so motivated to beat them the next year. Nathan, what's your initial thought here? Uh, there were two things that jumped to mind. One was some of what Ohio uh, uh, that Stephen is saying about how great that 2020 Clemson team really was. That might have been of that whole Dabo run. Even though you had Trevor Lawrence, at quarterback, maybe that was – a bit of a dip for for that team's standards, but mm-hmm. also Trey Sermon and what Ohio State was doing with its run game at that particular moment in time in 2020 hasn't replicated anything close to that in the last two Michigan games. So I do think Ohio State was better than Michigan last year. I don't I agree, Stephen. I don't I don't think Ohio State was better than Michigan in 2021. I do think Ohio State was better last year, and I think Ohio State was better than Clemson in 2020. So those are similar. I feel like we came out of the 20. 20 Ohio State Clemson game. And certainly as people said, like Ryan Day solved Brent Venables, right? They broke Brent Venables. Yeah. Right. That there was something, the thing that Clemson did best and Nathan, you're, uh, they still had Trevor Lawrence, but really that was also a team with just great defensive talent. And what people thought at that time was the best defensive coordinator in the country. And then Ryan Day attacked him and solved it. Nobody thinks Ohio State has solved this version of Michigan. And I think maybe you thought, okay, Michigan's going to run the ball. They're going to play a certain way. Can Ohio State solve that? Then it turns out that they came out and hit some big passes because Ohio State defense broke down. But there's still the discussion about physicality, the discussion about, you know, the way you approach that game, cold weather, all those kind of things as Michigan style built to beat Ohio State. Those discussions are continuing. But it felt like with the Clemson game the second time around, they cracked the code a little bit. And so does that mean it might just take a little longer for Ohio State to crack this code? Or does it mean that this code, this Michigan code against Ohio State is substantially more uncrackable? The Clemson thing was really in the end, and it's it's not entirely, but I think it was more about Ohio State's offense finding a way to beat Clemson's defense. Right. I mean, I shorthand, 
as much as like, you know, what Trevor Lawrence did in the second half with his legs in the 19 game was a real problem, that kind of thing. There was also like, okay, Brent Venables does this. Ryan Day has to crack it. I'm I'm getting to something here. I'm getting to something here that I think Ohio State fans are going to like. So Ryan Day, Ryan Day had a whole year. Ryan Day in charge of the offense, also in charge of the team. Ryan Day in charge of the offense had a whole year to try to crack the Brent Venables code. Jim Knowles did not have that because Jim Knowles has only lost to Michigan once. So as much as we lump this together, if you believe what really has to happen here, they got to crack that Michigan offensive code, right? They really are a run game, but like that physicality, whatever they're going to do, that offensive line, Jim Knowles has to crack the code. Maybe the cycle is not as on as we think, that it was Ryan Day absorbing a Clemson loss coming back the next year. Maybe this is about Jim Knowles personally absorbing a Michigan loss and coming back the next year. I don't think he's calling the same blitz that he called when Michigan stored its first touchdown. So that part of it, that I just, everybody relax. Eh, It's just a cycle behind. It's more of a cycle behind than we realize because a super important guy, because the first time around it was like, okay, well, this isn't good enough. We got to, you know, Matt Barnes and Kerry Combs are gone. So now also, Right, Nathan? Three points in the second half. Three points in the second half. Three points in the second half. Ryan Day has some code cracking, too. It's not all on Jim Knowles. But, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a part of that here. So anyway, I'm going to stop us there. Because I don't want to go too far down this line. I, I love the comparisons between Clemson and Michigan, where they are apt and where they are not. This will really help lead us into the big game discussion we're going to have. Because of their big games, a lot of them have been against Clemson and Michigan the last couple of years in the Ryan Day era. So we're going to talk about that anyway. But we're going to be informed by the fact that all three of us are going to sit down with Ohio State Clemson for three hours and relive 2020. And it will refresh. Oh, oh, oh. I just saw that. I didn't see that against Michigan, right? Oh, that. So I think our our discussion will get even smarter. But I love where this question is helping to lead us. So. This is your Thursday pod, the plan for the Friday pod, 2020 retalkable, then big game discussion next week. We appreciate you guys, you know, joining us here on this kind of off-season discussion that we love. You can go to cleveland.com slash OSU, read all kinds of stuff. Steven, you just have a recruiting battle every day at cleveland.com. It's like, I don't know how many you did, 20? I don't know. For the people who maybe don't know what those are, haven't seen them yet, explain kind of what you're doing with those posts at cleveland.com slash OSU. Yeah, I, I just, every May I try to just like reset where things are as Ohio State enters into the summer because we talked about it time and time again how Ohio State will have these early recruiting surges. And so they're typically ranked in the top five by then and they've got about maybe half, maybe a little less than half of the, what the class is going to be. And typically that's mostly the offensive side of the ball. So every May as we head into June and those official visits and we head in July and maybe the, the other half of the class catches up, I want to maybe, I always want to just like let fans know this is who you need to be concerned with heading into June. So I use May, I try to do the top 35. So it's a little more than, than 30, than 31. Cause I, you know, I try to go Sunday to Saturday with them of just, these are the 35 players that as Ohio state enters the summer months and these official visits and tries to finish out with another top five class. These are the most important players that you need to be concerned about. And then, Nathan, we can tell people about Michigan Week, which is coming 
next week, right? We're going to have a series of stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. It is the midway point. We are halfway to the next Ohio State-Michigan game and halfway removed from the last Ohio State-Michigan game. Nathan, what can we tell people about some of the stories we're working on? Well, it's just a check-in and a uh, an analysis of what has changed, what's different, what progress has each of these programs made, and more specifically, what progress, what has changed relative to the matchups in this game. So um, w- what has Ohio State added and how will that affect them in this game? But it's a deeper analysis than that, too, because it's going to go into and there are some maybe some some funner things there. Uh, I know that our, our rival reporter, um, Jimmy Watkins, went to um, the, the town that is the halfway point between Ohio State and Michigan and did some reporting there. But also just an idea like something I'm working on, the Ohio State approach. Is that what is holding it back in these Michigan matchups? And if so, what needs to change? Something along those lines. Uh, so it's 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 part of it is just sort of a taking the temperature of things and and a reassessment of okay, here's what's happened in the past six months, and here's how it could have show up on the field uh, months down the line. But also analyzing what we've seen and 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 taking a a because right after the game, obviously you're breaking down what happened in that specific game. And you're also looking ahead to what's coming next. And for Ohio State Michigan, both this past year, that meant a playoff game. Now you get to take an even farther step back and, and maybe examine things from a wider lens. And then on the second episode of the College Football Survivor Show this week, Shahan J. Haraja and I are going to reveal our list of the top 10 coaches in college football. So where does Ryan Day fall or not fall on that list? Uh, I'll have my top 10, Shahan who was part of this ranking process for CBSSports.com. They put out their overall list. This week, we'll have Shahan check in with his top 10. So look for that on uh, Thursday afternoon or Friday morning from the College Football Survivor Show. We'll catch you next on The Retalkables for now. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.